right, hey guys, and welcome to the Three Drinks In podcast, episode number 219. Is it? Let me just double check. It's been a while. Yeah, 219. Good for us. Uh, I'm your host, Vince. Over there is your host, Phil. Hey. In this episode, we are talking about the new Nicolas Cage film, Pig, starring Nicolas Cage, among others. Uh, before we get started, though, I want to remind you to, to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and do try and leave a rating or review. They really do help. Uh, as always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, at 3 Drinks in Pod. You can like us on Facebook, and compliments, comments, and sponsor offers can be sent to 3 Drinks in Podcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to check out the merch store over at TeePublic. All right. That's all the business. So, yeah, it's been, I was just checking the date, like August 11th was when we had our last, it's been almost a month. It was, we did a European vacation. We took the whole month off. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's amazing when they do that and they just like leave it on their email. Like, I'll be gone for five months. Just leave a message. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. And they, they have the opposite where they look at us like, you know. I'm at my grandma's funeral. Uh, what's up? I can talk. Like <laughs> wacky Americans, they're always working. Yeah. Ear to the grindstone or nose or whatever yeah. it is. You know, there, there's a happy medium in there somewhere. But it was summer, so yeah. Yeah, I did some traveling. I went to uh, the Poconos, um, which is interesting because there was like nothing there. There's like. A bunch of big resorts for those giant indoor water parks, which we did one day, and then a lot of nothing. <laughs> the, the Poconos are good for you know skiing, hiking, stuff like that. I, I've never seen you do any of those things, so <laughs> no, no. Also, like lake stuff and you know drinking. You can be well, on drinking yeah. there. Well, I guess so. But yeah, you know, there's not a lot to do in the Poconos. Yeah, they have any casinos there or no? I think, I think so. so. Well, no, I think they do. Um, small sands, or you used to see Emerald's face on the side of a, the highway. You're like, come here and eat, you know, overpriced half Cajun food and gamble. And uh, then, of course, there's the, be- the, be- the beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. Oh, the beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. Which yeah. I guess have that 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 heart shaped bed. I don't know. Seen <laughs> and the, the heart shaped and the heart shaped tub as well. Oh yes, the tub. Yeah. Everything was heart shaped. The mirror, you know. And um, and then I went to to Oregon of all places with my children, which was uh, well, that was a hoot. You know, Oregon's gorgeous. If you haven't gone, I highly recommend. It's really quite pretty over there. Um, we stayed at a place overlooking Haystack Rock, which I like. I never saw the Goonies. Yeah, have you seen the Goonies? Uh, I've only seen bits of Goonies. Um, yeah, I would have been too young for Goonies anyway. So was I. I mean, I or I just just didn't have friends that wanted to go. So I don't know what it was, but like, I think I did see it in college. Like someone said, "Oh, they're showing it over at the you know at the College Union building," and I'm like. Okay, what are we doing now? And I just went, I just tagged along with somebody, and um, I like they were all excited, like oh it's gonna be great. We sat there, and I'm like this is the dumbest movie 
I have ever seen. Like it just didn't make a whole lot of sense, and, or like I just uh, yeah, it didn't you, stick you in my head there. at all. Like I don't know what was happening, and so like it's definitely one of those. Like if you missed it, you missed it, and that's that. But I was I was posting pictures of everyone on Instagram. Everyone's like, "Oh, I love that movie." I went, "What movie?" <laughs> like I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, but it's cool. It's definitely uh, it's a lot of fun. A lot of good beer. A lot of very good wine. And then my brother-in-law got married, and that was fun too. Hmm. Uh, so, okay, that's yeah. nice. That's why we didn't watch any movies, right? No, no. Actually, I <laughs> I wanted to watch something on the plane, but that wasn't going to happen. No, no, not with two kids under six. <laughs> but um, but I did watch this movie, Pig. Yes, this movie. As did you. Watched Pig. Um, yeah. What did you think of Pig? Of Pig, starring Nicolas Cage. Um, Who I haven't seen in a movie. When's the last time you saw a Nicolas Cage movie? Can you can you recall uh, that? I don't. I don't know. Like deliberately, like you went. I'm gonna go watch this Nicolas Cage movie. I mean, he's been in so many things. He's been in. Uh, yeah. I mean, The Rock is the only thing I can think of that he's been in where it's like, I'm going to watch this movie on purpose. (laughs) You know? know, I mean, beyond that, I remember he was in the Spider-Man cartoon movie. He was the black and white Spider-Man. Right. Yeah, he was the noir Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, he was good in that. He didn't have to do too much. Yeah, no, I mean, these, like, I guess I've seen Con Air. Yeah, and those um, are, like, older movies. You know, like, Face Off. I mean, those are, like, 90s action movies. He hasn't yeah. done things like that in a long time. No, like, and he's done some interesting things, apparently, in the last few years. Like, he did a, a film called Mandy that people really seem to like, even though it's supposed to be, like, like this is not for everybody. And, you know, I kind of... Like I get it, but like it's just like it's 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 so intensely popular amongst a very specific uh, crowd. But I guess like his best movie, looking over the thing here, is like just leaving Las Vegas. Like he, I think he might have won an Oscar, was it, or was nominated for, for an Oscar for that. But that was like the last like really serious movie that kind of people take you know don't think is ridiculous. And he's got 103 credits for acting on on IMDb, and most of them are just B movie nonsense. I think he has had all kinds of um, like like financial trouble, so he kind of oh, tends yeah. he kind of tends to make everything. Uh, yeah, he's he's uh, a big spender on the dinosaur <laughs> bones and everything. Oh, I you know what? Whole... No, I was just saying. What? Like, what, what, one one movie that I know that he that he is in that I saw years ago, which is totally worth watching, even though I haven't gotten around to it again, is is um, uh, Matchstick Men. With him and Sam Rockwell, they played two con men. Um, and to give away more of the plot would just be it'd be giving away too much, but it's really worth taking a look. I think like the the last film of his that I saw, I was like, yeah, this is really good, and he it's good because he's in it. If it wasn't him, it wouldn't be quite so good. Yeah, I, the last thing I saw him in that was really good was um, adaptation. Oh God, played- yeah. 
he played Charlie Kaufman and he played like the double, like his twin brother. So he played both roles where he was doing something like this in Pig, where he was like, I'm actually going to act and not be like, you know, like in the Wicker Man <laughs> where he's just there to cash a paycheck. Yeah. I mean, like I'm looking over all these titles here on my phone. Like I don't like, I don't know any of them. Most of them have are, are like a below, you know, seven, seven stars on, um, you know, just like the rating, like Kick-Ass has got a pretty good, you know that's like that's pretty high but most of them are really terrible like oh and then the national treasure movies that's a franchise that he was a part of ghost rider he did too but that's supposed to be terrible with a wicker man 3.7 stars but uh he was he was in world trade center i remember that he's, he's uh yeah yeah he's, he's he's had this really bizarre career and I, I always feel like i should know more about the stuff before i talk about it but i just coming at it from like just the casual observer he seems to be very, very talented. He just makes a lot of movies that are all very bad. And then there's there's like gems in there, like Adaptation, Matchstick Men. You know, there's a few popular ones that are like well advertised. Wind Talkers, for example. Um, the Family Man. The, the uh, I like the Family comedies. Man. <laughs> yeah, that's not terrible. It wasn't, it wasn't a great movie, but... But he's good in all of them. He's he's talented. Like he can be good, and he does interesting things with a lot of these roles. You know, like he can let them breathe. He can make interesting choices. You know, it's the difference between a guy like him and like Eddie Murphy, who makes tons <laughs> and tons of bad movies and is terrible in all of them, seemingly without trying. Yeah. You know, like I can't. He was in. He was in Dreamgirls, Eddie Murphy. It was the last time I saw him do anything good. Yeah. Or or Dolomite is my name. And even that, I was like, this character requires him to be so out of out of there. So like, you know. I'd much rather watch Nicolas Cage than Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And there's something too about him that like he doesn't he didn't become like the movie star leading man type of guy he's 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 a character actor he was like and he has no problem playing guys who are not heroes you know he was in a movie i, I saw years ago called snake eyes where he plays like a corrupt cop in an atlantic city who is charged with the with the with, with investigating a murder that happens during a prize fight and there's you know his his buddy is a like a air force colonel or somebody and there's all kinds of weird shenanigans going on there with uh, weapons contractors who are there at the fight and guys get that get killed and senators and this and that and all this weird weird intrigue and it's a pretty good movie it's not a great movie but he plays a guy who's not too trustworthy who kind of ends up doing the right thing um in the movie but even at the end of it like it's one of those things where like the you know the story wraps up he's played the hero even though he's not a hero and then like the last five minutes there, there's like a coda where it explains in like voiceover and, like after this happened he had like legal troubles again and like it was all kinds of that gets arrested i'm like oh all right so he didn't really turn himself around after the, this episode in his life it didn't get any better for him he just doesn't mind playing you know complicated characters who are not 
sort of you know movie stars, which is why his you know his, his him being the choice for Superman years ago in the late nineties and that bizarre movie that never got made was always so strange to me. Like that's he's not a superhero character. He might be like a weird quirky villain. You yeah, know? well, he doesn't have the leading man look, but like like he could be the weirdo in Raising Arizona, and then he could be the straight-laced uh, FBI guy in uh, Guarding Tess. But you're right, like, you're, you're not Superman. Yeah, no. You know, that's and that's... He seems to have easily made his peace with that, which has helped his career. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And Some he, actors never get over that. And he really, you know, he's got a place in the sort of in the zeitgeist, I think unfairly, as someone not to take seriously. And there are different kinds of people who get that. Like Mel Gibson is one of them. Because he, you know, had a real rough patch there with all the racism and the anti-Semitism and, you know, like that. Did you ever like, see that Hamlet with him? With Mel Gibson? With Mel Gibson. I've only seen a couple of scenes of it. And I, you're right, I, it's hard to take him seriously. It's not bad. It's it's kind of a straightforward, you know, period piece. Yeah, like it's it feels like you're watching Mel Gibson try to do Shakespeare. Yeah, (laughs) you know, which is not. Whereas in this and most Nicolas Cage movies, like you believe he's that person. Yeah, but he also stands out though. Like when you see him in like Face Off, when you see him doing a Michael Bay movie the overacting and the sort of ridiculous caricature that he's made himself into can creep in. And I think part of the... Because like when I first saw this movie, and I'm like, okay, so a reclusive truffle farmer, you know, has his pig stolen from him, and he needs to go after it and save his pig from the evil truffle hunter pig poachers. Oh, and it's Nicolas Cage. Like, that's a part of the story. Like, if this had been... Joe Blow, some actor I don't know, or some like, or like Daniel Day Lewis, they just didn't tell you who he was. Like, you really wouldn't think much of the, it wouldn't seem b- bizarre. It'd be kind of offbeat, but not really. But because it's him, it sort of l- lends an air of what the hell <laughs> when they're describing to you the plot of the film. Because in the, in the synopsis of the plot, they mention who, who's playing him, and that sort of informs how you're going to think about the movie. In a way, but yeah, well, I mean, and then that's, I guess that's his fault. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because yeah. if you if you go back and look at his body of work, there's some of it that's really great, and some of it that is just great and bonkers. You know, like you know, raising Arizona, like Moonstruck, and some of it that's just dreadful, <laughs> like Con Air. He's so bad in Con Air, but he's just doing his thing. And people love Con Air. People really do. For some do. reason. I don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, it's fine for what it is. <laughs> you know, like, I do like The Rock. Well, I, I like The Rock because it's the best Michael Bay experience you can pay for. Yeah, and it's basically a James Bond movie. And like, there's no. some arguments to be like, there's some. <laughs> I wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't say that. Well, there, no, but there's some people, and I've I saw this recently. Who would make the case that like it is a James Bond movie? It's just they couldn't call him James Bond; they had to give him another name. 
But it's just, oh, you know, what if James Bond got caught and then he'll spend his entire life in Alcatraz okay. prison? And then, like, that's, that's totally wrong, but okay. <laughs> well, it's the same basic idea. He's a British Secret Service agent and he, he's. Oh, well, he, that's about where it ends. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. It's. <laughs> anyway, it is anyway. the best Michael Bay experience. You know what? As a side tangent, I know we haven't talked about the movie yet, but I finally <laughs> saw the, the No Time to Die trailer. I haven't seen it yet. It, I'm kind of avoiding it. Well, I went to the movies and I couldn't avoid it at that point. So, but rest assured, it doesn't tell you anything about the film at all. I was actually baffled by how vague it was. Like it went by and I was just sitting there like, what the hell was that? <laughs> was that a movie trailer? It didn't look, it looked like a watch commercial. What is this? <laughs> Like no. a watch commercial. Like they could have used any generic dialogue to to. I was like, you know, you've got to stop him. Oh, he'll fire the missiles. I'm like, this. What is this? It's a commercial for so, Tom Ford. Yeah. So anyway, you you didn't miss anything, I guess. It's like a watch. Well, that's the thing about those trailers that I can't stand is that they don't tell you about the movie. Like. They used to well, tell they used you to be like, yeah, like every world. Yeah, the inner world yeah. guy. You know, and I, I remember watching. Um, I don't know what it was. No, it was the the podcast. The the Inglorious Trexperts would talk, would talk would would do. Um, they talk about a particular episode of that show, and they would play the TV trailer, like the commercial for the episode which I guess was the thing that they used to do, and I forgot all about it. And I went onto YouTube, and I found that, like, yeah, all of these, like, 30-second spots that Paramount would, would, would put out there as, like, a teaser for, like, the, the upcoming episode of, on the next Star Trek, Deep Space Nine. Like, and they would that. give you the whole plot of the whole... And, like, I can't imagine that now. Because now there's like all these TV shows are so, you know, you can't even, you know, like some actors for their roles in films and TV, they they don't even get the whole script. They get their scenes, and you read those, and it's just all this, like, everything is shrouded in mystery, and all this, you know, uh, non-disclosure stuff. And they used to just give you the entire thing in the first like four seconds. They just dumped the entire plot out there, and there was, I can't remember what it was, but there was. One episode of Star Trek, I remember they were saying that like this was a, a really good movie or, or a really good episode, but the trailer for it dumped the surprise. Like the whole thing was like it, there was some kind of a mystery. Like you know, all the next gen episodes had had like a mystery element to them, but the the trailer gave it away and like before anyone sat down to watch it. So you had that happen, and it didn't really bother anybody. Like this. Now that's unthinkable that you would tell the audience what happens in the story to get them to watch. That's what they have to rely on now, just things exploding. And that's how you're supposed to generate enthusiasm. And James Bond is probably the worst of this because like, all the plots kind of, like they're not that, that different from each other. They're not that clever. So it's just like pretty people getting out of oceans, cars driving fast, a boat, maybe a helicopter... And then something blows up, and then somebody fires a gun. That's like that's all you really need to do to make these these trailers, pretty much, you know, engaging without giving anything away. So, so what did you think of Pig? You're the food guy. You like food yeah. more than I do. 
I have weird thoughts about I want to watch it again. I haven't... So this is both good and neutral in the sense that, like, I liked it. And like everything I do right now, I watch it at home for the most part. And I never feel like I'm giving it my full attention. Like, I really have to make a considered effort next time I watch a movie at home that we're going to talk about of putting my phone across the room and just sitting there with, like, a notepad. Because, like, I'll I'll take notes during a movie just so there's, like, a thought I have and I want to make sure I have it down. And oftentimes I just do that on my phone. But then I go, well, what if I just take a look at Instagram for a second? And then I'll just, I'm kind of in that rabbit hole. And it's just, it's not good. So I feel like I was distracted a little bit in the beginning of the movie. And so that's one reason I, I want to watch it again. And the other reason was like, I, I think it was really good. It was definitely kind of weird. But I also liked it at the same time. And I kind of feel like it, there's a lot happening in the story, even though the story is relatively straightforward. And it was written in a very economical way. That there's kind of a lot there that I, I want to make sure I didn't miss certain things. But I think I really liked Pig. I don't think I loved it. There were some other questions I, you know, like some things that kind of leave me hanging. Like, was that just weird for the sake of weird? Or what was going on there? But like... There was a lot to like about it, I think. I think the acting was really good. Everybody in this was solid. I think that it was shot well. It was sort of dark without being, you know, too too dark I couldn't see. It wasn't too dismal. Um, It was shot interestingly. And I think the best thing about it was it was a great show-don't-tell movie. Like, you know, interesting shots conveyed information as well as the dialogue, as well as... You know, the just moving through the plot. Um, the food thing is there. It's it's kind of incidental. Like, the pig is a good MacGuffin because it's not a baby, which is good. Like, you, I, I hate it when they make you know, and they don't do it often. Like, Labyrinth does it, but like you know, you make the you, know, you make the MacGuffin a baby, which is just kind of upsetting. Um, but also, like you know, he could be anything anybody in a way it's not about the food it's just kind of the hook they use in terms of like the kind of character and the and the, the city that that the, that they're in but it is kind of a foodie movie in a weird way um yeah i just i don't i think i really liked it it was just it was just weird enough to be interesting i think he was really good in it he made some really great choices um I don't know. It was it was it wasn't depressing, but it wasn't fun. Like it was just, it was one of the most interesting things I've seen in a long time. Mm. So, um, what would you think? Uh, I liked it a lot. Thought it was good. Um, it was definitely weird. Um, and you know, I think that was on purpose. It was it was meant to be that way. Um, you know, the the foodie scene is. I think it, so the movie takes place in like this heightened reality, right? I mean, he's living as a nomad in, in the woods of Oregon alone with a pig looking for truffles and he sells them for a price. That's how he lives, you know, and it's important that he's a food, he's like an, a chef that he used to be, be 
It reminded me of um, Fat Man in that he remembers everything about every meal he's ever cooked and everybody he's ever hired to work for him. Fat Man? You remember Fat Man with uh, Mel Gibson? Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And, and when he was Santa Claus, like he knew everything about you the closer he got to you. Like right. when you, like he could tell you what you were thinking, what you've done. Like, you know, Santa sees everything. You know, he was supposed to be magical Santa Claus. Whereas Nicolas Cage is playing this character who's who's so upset that his wife died and he's only living for one thing, and that's because he loves this pig that he hangs out with. It's like the last connection he has to anything because he's not alone that way. You know, but he's he's also ridiculous. Like he's he's not supposed to be taken like as a real person, you know, and the world that he lives in isn't really either. Now I know food people can be nuts about this stuff. I don't think they have underground fight clubs. <laughs> we yeah. beat the crap out of each other, you know? So like there's a level of realism in that they will cert- they will seriously injure one another and try to undercut one another to have the best food, the best this, the best that, but they don't beat the shit out of each other like that, you know? and and stuff like that and he can't remember everything he's ever cooked it's it's literally not possible you know so so the weirdness is part of it It, it's kind of like this heightened sense of eating memory and you know loss all those emotions are are dialed up to 11 along with everything else including like how seriously they all take the food world um and that's just that's just part of it. So it was didn't it was different. I like that, you know. And you're right. He does a really good job with very little. You know, he doesn't talk that much, and he's very direct, and he knows how to get to the heart of people. I think it was funny that people expected this to be some sort of John Wick thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. they've they've got my pig. <laughs> And he jumps in the Lamborghini of the guy he knows. He's like, we're going to get my pig back. And he looks like this murderous psychopath, (laughs) you know. But it turns out not to be that at all. No, it was way more interesting than that. When he confronts people about his pig, he just sits there, you know. And even then, like, he's wearing, like, this beggar outfit, you know, clothes that don't really fit him. He's filthy, He's got blood on his face and in his beard and people don't really react to it. Like they look at him like, do you want a towel? He's like, no, I want my pig. <laughs> but then they let him sit there like tasting wine and stuff. So, like, you know, that's part of it. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a heightened thing. It's not, it's, it's just real enough to be plausible but it's also just weird enough to kind of take you out of it. So, like, I think the most obvious example of that is the fight club scene. There's this weird... I think that's it, just the scene I didn't like the most. That's the one where I was like, okay, whatever. But like, Well, it has right. a purpose. <laughs> it does. But. Yeah, its purpose is to indicate to, you know, to, to, to the really strange people who... If you kind of look at them, you go, these folks wouldn't be surprised by much, I guess. You know, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen in my life, so I imagine that not not much is going to shock these folks. 
And then he writes his name on the wall, and everyone just stops. And it just, just sort of gives you a sense as to, because you don't really know much about this person. You know, you know that, you know, he's probably pretty good at what he does, considering that this kid in this fancy car and this suit drives out to the middle of nowhere to buy truffles from him. But you really don't get a sense as to what's going on. You know, he, he can cook because he cooks in the first third of the movie. He makes that little uh, rustic tart. Um, but it's not until he puts his name on the wall that all these people who work in the restaurant business sort of just stop. And they go, oh. And the only thing about that scene I didn't like is that they didn't explain any of it, really. And I kind of need more there. Like, I think the idea was that the people getting hit were the chefs, like the famous chef people or somebody, and the people doing the punching. Because it's not a fight club in that sense that they're fighting each other. They're just giving beatings. Oh, I thought they were fighting each other. Because when he walks in, the two people are fighting each other. I think, is that I think... D- Dennis? Is that guy fighting, or is he just getting his? Is, is he just some homeless guy getting his ass handed to him? I, I thought they were fighting because when he fights, he puts his name up. Everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, it's uh, it's Robin. What's his name?" And then he lets that guy beat him up. And I think that just is supposed to show that he's willing to let himself get beaten up to get the information because everyone kind of blows him off. He's like, I'm "Looking for my pig," and they're like, "Well, we don't care. You know, the pig's not important." You know, you were a big legend, but now you're nobody. And then he just lets himself get beaten up to prove he's like, that's how important as important as pig is to me. Like, I think okay. that was what I think that was the point of the scene. I'm not sure. I, I think just, I, 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 just I, think I it I, was like it was too much. I'm like, this is a little, this is a little goofy. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. It looked to me like it was like everyone doing the hitting was like the front of house. Like the guy that like p- that puts up puts up the money to beat him up. Well, I couldn't he's wearing like a Mater because, D jacket. Yeah. Well, it was I mean, odd. but they were wearing like Mad Max style stuff like that. Like, <laughs> like some of them were just wearing like top hats and suspenders. So I was like, I don't understand what the hell is even happening here. Like, who are these people? And it's like, this is where restaurant people go. I'm like, everybody? Like, <laughs> I, I don't understand. I've never, I've worked in restaurants. I've never seen anybody dressed that way. So, like, <laughs> I, I was a little confused, but. Yes, like I couldn't tell if that was like a like this is where people in the service industry go to blow off steam, <laughs> like if that's because like you know that it really is it's very difficult work to work in a restaurant and or is it that like the front of house people hate the back of house people because the back of house people like that was that was a big change in in the world of fine dining years ago. The chef was nobody. You didn't know anybody who worked in the kitchen. It didn't matter. These were. You know, very much the same way that, like, during Shakespeare's time, the actors were, you know, were considered little more than prostitutes. Like, it was not a respectable job. And then over time, that changed, you know, culturally. And now actors are our celebrities. They are the pinnacle of the things that we um, we, we, we look for. Um, and at some point, it was really Wolfgang Puck was probably the first one. And by the way, that, there's a good documentary about him on... Disney Plus, even though it's kind of a love letter to him, but it's still pretty interesting. But like, he had an idea to open up a restaurant in L.A. and then make the kitchen visible. The kitchen was in the dining room. You you know there was no difference, and so 
because he had such a big personality, he became the attraction. The Mater D, the people that ran the show from the front of the house, became irrelevant, even though for years they were the people that the customers would seek out when they when they went to restaurants. You didn't care who was cooking the food. You cared that the food was good, the place was trendy, and that you were being taken care of by the guy that ran the show. And um, so I kind of got a vibe from this that, that there was some kind of a front of house, back of house sort of tension being resolved because the one guy, when he walks in, is getting his butt kicked and then he gets his butt kicked on purpose. So I... It was, but I needed more information as to what they were trying to do there. That was the one time where I'm like, "This is too lean. I need something else I can get my head around here." But um, what was I going to say? I feel trance went out of my head. But uh, what did you think of the other? I mean, there weren't that many other people in the movie. But what did you think about them? Like his buddy. Um, was it Alex Wolf? Is that the actor's name? He was really good. I don't know him from anything else but Jumanji. He was in like the the Jumanji ones with the, with the Rock and the whole thing. And like he plays the Rock, like the the human version of the Rock in the game. Um, yeah. And uh, I thought he was really interesting, and I didn't expect him to be interesting. Like when you first meet him, he's just kind of a jerk, you know. He kind of has that hubris that young rich punk kids have where they're putting themselves into sort of dangerous or bizarre situations like driving out to the middle of nowhere and you know buying truffles off this guy in the woods in the in the middle of the night is kind of weird and dangerous it's just a strange thing and he's not nice he's he's like a jerk to him and like i don't know about you but like I come across Nicolas Cage in the woods, even if I know that he's, you know, a truffle hunter. I, I'm not gonna piss this guy off because you know he just, he's, you know, he's a few, he's a few cards short of a full deck, and so people like that, you don't want to anger them. <laughs> you know, they can kind of go off at any moment. You know, and he doesn't do that. He's just a jerk, and you know doesn't treat him with much respect, doesn't think much of him, and just, you know, behaves accordingly. And that character changes very slowly throughout the story in a really interesting way. You learn a lot about him, and he changes from the, from the, from the beginning to the end. And I, and I thought that he handled that change really well because it wasn't sudden. Like, it was a slow burn, to get him from the beginning of the story where he is kind of a jerk and, you know, sort of not, not a very interesting character to being somebody at the end who you see has been clearly suffering because of what's gone on with his family over the last 10, 15 years and has a strong desire to, you know, make a name for himself in the place that he loves. This is there's a, a strong connection to the city of Portland in this story too, and it's clear that he has a connection to Portland as well as as Rob. And um, I thought he I thought he handled that really well. And then Adam Arkin is just great in everything because he's Adam Arkin and he's you know Alan Arkin. Yeah, that's the dad. Oh. So, so sort of sort of a simple role for him, but. Um, he was good too. Like everyone's good. Like there's 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 not there's not a lot of characters. Like I love the lady in the beginning, 
when he when he like when they first discovered that the pig is missing, he goes to those other people who sell truffles, oh, and yeah. and he asks them like, you know, have you seen my pig? And the lady's like, fuck, and, she, and they they drive right to the people that they know. That's the other thing that's cool about this is like. There's never a huge mystery as to what's going on. Like it's, this sub, it subverts all the expectations that I think people had watching the trailers for the film. And I wonder if that was on purpose. And I wonder what the cinema score for this movie is. Which, uh, those of you who don't know, C- cinema score does this rating for movies where it basically rates audiences' expectations versus their actual experiences. So if you think the movie is going to be you know, a swashbuckling pirate adventure, you know, and you go to there and it's actually a, you know, bizarre, you know, futuristic love story that takes place in some kind of a time machine warp thing. Like, you're going to give it a low cinema score because it's not what you expected to get. It sort of measures uh, marketing. It's actually not on here. No? I wonder what they're doing now with the pandemic. I haven't, I haven't thought about c- c- cinema score in a long time because... Every 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 movie that I've seen in the last two years, I kind of got what I was expecting. <laughs> Nobody was, you know, taking flyers on weirdo films that, uh, you know, they didn't quite know what they were. Everything had to be kind of obvious. Yeah. Well, I, I think what's important is that that's part of the story. You know, like he's removed himself, and he lives in the woods in the middle of nowhere because his wife died, and he's depressed, and he doesn't want to be part of the food scene anymore, and yet he is still sort of part of it. Like he, he's removed himself as far as he can and he's on the outskirts with all the weirdos and the drug addicts, but he's still part of it, Yeah, you know? And so like, there's only so many places the pig could be, you know? And he just sort of works his way up the chain until he gets to the young kid's dad who ended up stealing the pig. He hires some drug addicts to steal the pig for him, you know? But you know, the whole movie takes place over the course of like a day or two. It's not long. No. You know? And he doesn't have to shoot through a room full of goons to get there. It's not like, <laughs> yeah, it's it it really. I mean, I liked it because it subverted the, my expectations a bit. I think that that can be fun. It can be it can be jarring for people and sort of, you know, like sometimes I don't like it. Like what, I was thinking about when I saw Logan, and we had just been in, you know been watching all these superhero movies and they're all kind of the same. And then we get Logan, which is different and not even remotely like those. And I didn't like it at first because I just, I had just seen that character in a different movie like six months earlier where he played a different kind of character. And I wasn't prepared for the kind of shift that I was, that I got. That's kind of of an extreme example. But when it, when it has a positive effect, it's like this, where rather than, than getting a John Wick style, you know, or like taken with a pig, Instead, you get this really interesting story about a guy who, you know, is relentlessly going after something. And every time you think he's going to do something crazy, he does something introspective or extrospective. But, like, he engages with people in a way to make them think. And that's not what you'd think a guy who lived in the woods out of, you know desperation to leave society would be able to do and yet when he sits down with a guy in the fancy restaurant and talks about the english pub 
and ultimately when, when he cooks the meal for the for the psychopath guy who's the who's the kid's father you know he's able to cut through all the nonsense and get right at people in a way that n- nothing else can and i that's interesting yeah, it's, like super, it's like a superpower for him yeah essentially and i think what's interesting about that is that the context and the setting of the film being that of the of 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 the of the food world the food space there's always a drive to do that and it never seems to materialize it's it's a, you know like for for a long time there's this balance in 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 fine dining between something that is real and something that is cultivated and is there, there's this constant yin and yang like years ago like right now the big thing is always about local fresh farm to table type stuff you know you want to basically eat dinner in the farm that you that grew all the food that that you're eating which is the literal opposite of what dining in restaurants was in the u.s from the beginning of restaurants at you know Delmonico's in New York City in like 1870, up until Chez Panisse in San Francisco in the 70s, restaurants were about def- you know, about defying the seasons and saying if you want this you can have it we can make it for you it doesn't matter what it is we will then take this thing and you know give you things you know raspberries in December which you know and then the pendulum swung the other way where it's like no we're going to make everything rustic and everything's going to be and then you know going to be local and fresh and you know sustainably sourced all this kind of stuff and then you end up a lot of the times with stuff that you see and you still get that like you still get stuff that that you see in that restaurant where like the woman picks up the bowl and there's smoke around the thing you know i saw there was a show on on Netflix called "Who's Feeding Phil" or somebody. Feed. It was the the guy who was the producer for Everyone Loves Raymond, who created the show. He's a big foodie, and he had a show on PBS that got bought up um, by Netflix. And like the most insane thing I've ever heard in my entire life was that he was eating dinner in a restaurant in Japan, an extremely high end restaurant in Japan, where food was brought to him on a plate that looked like a piece of wood. In the wood was a was a speaker that was connected wirelessly to a microphone out in the wilderness that was recording and then transmitting the sounds of nature to his plate. And I went, somewhere we've lost the plot here. And there's, there's this constant battle between these, these, these kind of things um, in the food scene, being, you know, creating a thing that's wonderful and beautiful and pure and, you know highly manufactured and things that are cut right to the chase of it like what's and that's why that scene with that guy was so great in the restaurant where where he's like i fired you for overcooking pasta what do you really want to do because this is ridiculous yeah and it was a really great scene because it was creepy and it was kind of weird and the guy was so uncomfortable but he was laughing and it was just it was a well-acted scene as well as being well written but i just thought it was an interesting choice to make because 
food is like fashion it's never finished it's always changing and such and that's the tug of war that people are having is to create high-end food that looks like what you saw versus creating things that people find familiar and accessible but won't pay you know five hundred dollars for and you're not quite sure where he ended up, but you know that he was he, he, that because he was able to remove himself from it, he can look at it with more clarity. So. And uh, what about the ending? Did it work for you? Spoiler alert, everybody. Um, well, there are two endings in my head. There's the ending when you find out what happens to the pig. Um, and he cooks the meal for the guy and he, you know, he, I loved that, that whole thing where he was just like, I'm not gonna, you know, go get a machine gun and go blow the, you know, go, you go, um, blow the place up like it's the end of Scarface. He's going to do the exact opposite of that. And, you know, the kid tells him the story that his parents, you know, had the best dining experience of their lives at this guy's old restaurant 20 years ago and he cooks them the same cook cooks them him the same meal um and the guy like just breaks down and sort of loses all sense of this tough guy macho routine and and says like you know the the pig is dead and he loses it and i i i liked how they did it without actually hearing him yell they sort of they did that in silence which is both helpful and also, I think, just it's more effective that way. Um, but then there's the ending where he goes back to the woods, and I was just like that, like they're they're kind of the same thing, but like you get the resolution of the story when he cooks the meal and learns about the pig and is heartbroken, and then you get sort of the, like the next phase that kind of closes the whole thing up pretty pretty neatly where he goes back to his cabin in the woods and says to the kid like I'll see you Thursday and like you know and I think I mean you you know before he cooks the meal he doesn't really need the pig which I liked a lot too. He says, "Like I don't really need the pig to do this. Like the trees well, will tell it? you where the where the mushrooms are." Right. Well, he doesn't need the pig for the truffle, but he does need the pig. Right. Yeah. So you learn the purpose of the pig is right beyond just the. It's the only thing he cares for. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, I'm going to put on my English professor hat. So whenever you have. The, the central question of the of the no, say novel the movie or whatever you know will this man find the pig that he cares about the climax of the story is the answer to that question you know he can't get the pig back because the pig died <laughs> the drug addicts were too rough with it <laughs> somehow mangled the pig all right so when you find out like when he has that breakdown and he and he collapses on the ground and you know that's the answer to the climax. Will he get the pig back? No, there, there is no pig. Okay. And everything after that is falling resolution. It's, it's, it's falling action. It's, it's the fallout from what happens to that. So I, that was what was nice to see because I didn't know what was going to happen after that. Yeah. Cause I, you know, at that point he says like, I'm done with this guy who's 
dad kidnapped my pig. I'm just going to go back to the woods and eat truffles by myself with it. And then you find out he can't have the pig back. And so he turns to the guy and says, you know, I'll, I'll see you next time for the, for the order, for the shipment. And he turns on the cassette tape that he has in his boombox of his wife. And it's, it's, it's sad, but it's this acknowledgement that my life is still going to go on. And now that I don't have my pig, one, I still need to make money. Like I still need to live and do the thing I like to do, which is to find truffles. But also, what's another way of coping now that I don't have the pig to take care of? Well, I guess I could listen to my tapes of my dead wife. <laughs> and like, you know, and he just sits on the bench and listens. Like he doesn't like get up and go, I'm going to shave now. Like he doesn't like, he doesn't make this big dramatic thing. It's just, it's a big emotional arc. You know, I'm now going to work on accepting this maybe a little more because he, he starts to play it in the beginning of the movie and he turns it off immediately. Yeah. He's like, I can't listen to this and I don't need to because I had my pig. But without that emotional MacGuffin support crutch thing, he has to he has to do you know do something else. So yeah. I thought it was good. Yeah, it really was. It had a lot of small things in it I liked a lot too. Um you know, <laughs> you know, the the kid tells him the story over French toast about his parents and his mom. I mean, does he does he say try to kill herself or kill herself? He says she died. Yeah, but she's not. Usually, but as she's you not dead. No. She tried to kill herself, and it was like botched or something. Yeah, it didn't work, and so she's like she, a vegetable. She's like, yeah, she's like in a either vegetable or in a coma or something. Yeah, and so they they keeping anyway. But you know, he says that, and then. Rob gives this bizarre speech about, which doesn't make sense at the time, and you get it later, but he says, like, you know, every couple hundred years we get an earthquake here that's so bad that it creates a tsunami and puts all of us underwater. And having just been to Oregon recently, I got to tell you, there's nothing more unsettling as you're driving up and down the, or the Oregon Coast Highway, the 101, where every... You know, a mile or so, it says entering tsunami zone. And then it says leaving tsunami zone. And then entering tsunami zone. I go, hang on a minute. <laughs> you mean to tell me if I'm going to stand over here on this side of this sign and a tsunami comes, I'm screwed. But if I walk 10 feet over here, everything will be okay. <laughs> like, I'll get to watch the devastation. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's, there's no running from, like, you know, and... <laughs> So, but it's but it's true. It really is, you know, a giant fault line that runs, you know, right past Oregon. And if something happens, you've got about fourteen seconds to figure out what to do. Um, and it's a you know, it's a metaphor for the futility of living in Portland. You know, like why would why, you know why go through all this here when we're just sitting on like a time bomb? No, I do. I, I do think it's funny that they. Um. They like fuck Seattle. They think they don't want to go to Seattle for some reason. Yeah. But um after he says this b- bizarre and, and crazy thing, he then says, says you should always you should, you, should, you, you should always use stale bread for French toast. I was like, what what? Yeah. <laughs> it just kinda came out of nowhere. Oh, well, that's really like, important. Oh, it is. You should always well, use yeah. stale bread for French toast. Well, but not like, that. It, I mean But it, he's he's still engaged with 
what he's doing, even though his mind is clearly someplace else. Well, it, it shows that. So like when the, they take the pig, he tells him like, I need your, because the kid drives like a Lamborghini. He's loaded. I need you to take me to the tent, to the city. And the kid's like, oh, I can't take you. You know, I got a reputation. Uh, you're a, you're a crazy loner and I don't like you. And, and he takes him anyway. And then he ends up spending the night in his apartment on the couch. And then the kid makes him breakfast and he's like telling him all these things. And, and like, they're starting to sort of like not hate each other as much. And he tells them like, you know, your quest for status and the approval of your father, who sounds like an, an idiot jerk, isn't important because we're all going to get buried under a tsunami someday anyway. So why bother? And then he tells them you should always cook with stale bread, like as a friend, you know, like like they start to develop a bond where they they're not buddies, but they don't hate each other anymore. Yeah. You know, and it's like little moments like that that are really important. It's called good writing. Yeah. It, it it does a lot of work without being like, and then I started to trust him. Like, no. Yeah. There's a second moment like that, too, when he goes to the, to what what was his, what you assume was his, his old restaurant, and the woman's turned it into a bakery. And again, yeah, and he gets a lot of information. Bread. <laughs> right, well, but... So he asks her for the bread, but he then also um, asks for a cookie. Like she has a cookie sitting there on on the table, and she's like, "Yeah, go ahead and take one." And he picks one up, and he puts it down, and picks up another one. And then, yeah, when yeah, that, yeah. but like he's, he knows his stuff, <laughs> right? But he's like he's being particular. But but then when he gets back to the car, he gives the cookie to the kid. Right. It's not for him. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't want to give him the bad one. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with the French toast. It's just a small thing. And if you do small things well, they end up being not quite so small. And you wouldn't... It's not out of character. You know? Like exactly. You do that at the beginning, but then as they go on all this stuff, they help each other out. So yeah, no, this was, this was a really good, good movie. You good know? Movie. And... And I, I wasn't quite sure how I, how I, how I felt about because it, it was kind of, sort of dialed up and a little bit heightened, and you know, it's kind of if you just boost the colors on something, really, you know, to you know, like the saturation on something. If you take a a picture you you took with your phone, you begin to play with all the different features that your camera has. You can kind of make it sort of stand out and be a little bit, you know, unnatural from what your eyes see. But you, you know, and sometimes that's done dramatically with, you know, robot aliens and this kind of stuff. And sometimes it's done very, very, you know, not subtly per se, because that's the whole point. It's things are not subtle here, but they're also not so obvious that they're hitting you in the face. And that's the, the theme. So like everything about this was, you know, handled carefully. Well, you know, these things don't work for everything. Like when you ever, whenever I hear people complain about you know, Marvel movies and stuff, and the house style is boring, it's been done to death. There's no, it's it's a movie, it's not a film. I mean, I can't imagine an Iron Man movie being like this. You know, and would I want to watch a movie like that? Probably not. You know, it doesn't work for everything. It works great for this. And even I'd say, you know, at certain points, John Wick does things like this. I, John Wick doesn't live in the real world. He's 
another sort of bizarre fantasy heightened reality thing. But, uh, you know, it doesn't work for everything. I actually think that that's what makes John Wick so good is that that they they very, very, you know, carefully and deliberately create a universe that can house someone like John Wick and tell a story, you know, about him that where, he, you know, he's he's impressive and unusual, but he's not out of place where it doesn't make any sense. Right, and people always go on and on about the the action scenes in those, and they are good, even though they are repetitive. But like, it's not so much that he's just like this psychopath who's running around murdering people. It there's supposed to be some sort of emotional reason, and that's why he's doing it. So you do have those moments in that film where it's like slow and ponderous and staring at the camera and deep emotions. My dog, my wife, you know. <laughs> They don't have that stuff in the Incredible Hulk. Not really. <laughs> it's not that deep. So, you know, I always compare it to everybody knows Breaking Bad. A million things going on in that show. A lot of those episodes could be slow, but there's a lot happening with characters and situation, things like that. You know, when they stare off into the distance, you can see the acting happen. And same with this with Nicolas Cage. He's actually, you know, He's doing acting even though he's not saying anything versus a show like Sons of Anarchy where there is no subtext. There's just text. (laughs) (laughs) And when they stare into the distance, you're waiting for them to say something because, you know, it's like super liminal. (laughs) (laughs) Subliminal, liminal, and then super liminal. Hey, you, join the Navy. Join the Navy. You know, so like for a movie like this, good acting and good writing and, and, a, and a sense of cinema is much appreciated versus, you know, Batman V Superman, where they're just staring at each other, glowering. <laughs> You're just like, are they going to fight or what? You know? So it, w- it was nice to see a different movie for once like that. That's very good. So yeah. I enjoyed it. So we, uh, we would recommend this film. Yeah, see it. It's yeah. streaming now, so you can see it while you can. I know it was in theaters first, and that's why most people probably didn't see it at all. So yeah, but um, yeah, it was on early access for uh, Amazon Prime, so I got to got to rent it from that, mm-hmm. which was nice. Uh, but if you guys out there have thoughts about Pig that you want to share with us, you can do so on Twitter or Instagram. We are at Three Drinks in Pod on both. Uh, you can email us at three drinks in podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to go to the Facebook page, the website, to the T Public store for the merch. Make sure that you subscribe and tell your friends and leave reviews and do all those things. So, all right. Anything else? Cool. No, that's it. All right. As always, please drink responsibly and we'll talk to you all next time. Yep. Take care. Bye.